the worst kind of limbo is resisting sleep to deny tomorrow's inevitability. Cat. I was so tired that my eyes burnt. Every joint jabbed slivers of glass into every movement as I tossed and turned. The dog sleeping under the foot of the bed grumbled his disapproval at the constant disturbance at a boulder of human misery rolling around above him like some kind of slow-stakes remake of Raiders. Our four-legged lead, too dignified to run, crawled out of his burrow and pouted off to the couch. To fall asleep immediately. That dog can be an asshole devoid of empathy. Using my dirt mall clairvoyant abilities, I could tell that my back was gonna hurt tomorrow. The torment of tonight's insomnia was due to transitioning back to days. The living world resists the dead rejoining them. The dead resent you trying to escape. If this is nonsense, I ask for your patience because a lot of this was written that night. It's 1am and I am disconnected and angry. On the edit, I realize I'm also a pretentious douche who is a shit writer in love with his own prose. But I'm talking, you're listening, so I don't know what to tell you. Practice makes perfect. You must suffer the consequences. Uh, but back to the story, it's the third day of getting four hours of sleep, and shit is getting weird. The twilight of sleep and awakened thought combined with the artificial stupor of magnesium and melatonin supplements create a surreal mindscape of irrational thought. The honest part of my muddy brain knew I wasn't going back to sleep whether or not a 12-hour day was ahead of me. Then an hour meeting at the end of that, drive home. Walk the dog, food, shower, bed, walk the dog, pack a lunch, 12 hours on my feet trying not to fuck up. Rage is the only thing that can sustain me. Anger towards all the things I cannot control. My schedule, sleep, and TikTok. I fucking hate TikTok. All these dumb commercials on YouTube, TV, someday soon Netflix, and why? I've aged out of what's in. It bothers me more some days than others because when I was a kid, even if something didn't appeal to me, I at least understood its appeal. I got it. I was a part of the collective unconscious. Things seem to change so fast these days, I don't even know what was cool before it's gone. You either die Bart or live long enough to see yourself become Homer. I cannot couch the insanity of this script enough. Shit gets weird when you can't sleep. I did the worst thing I could knowing that I had to be up at 4.30am. I turned on my phone and I hate watched reels. You know reels, they're the dollar store TikTok. TikTok is the thing that we pretend isn't vines. My friends have tried on multiple occasions to persuade me into downloading the TikTok app. And I have, then I got rid of it within a day. It irritated me. 
As I loathe the screen before me, I flip through the reels on Instagram and I got exactly what I wanted. People lip-syncing to movie quotes or other TikTokers, some douche impersonating his wife with a towel on his head faking some kind of argument they had, girls doing sexy dances, girls doing sexy dances in cosplay, girls doing sexy dances in animal ears, and other forms of girls just doing sexy dances. The sexy dances were less annoying, I'm human, but even then, why? It is such a foreign concept to me that someone could wake up, feel beautiful, and want to get a response to that by moving their body. Or not feeling beautiful, so they do it for the comments. Try to build themselves back up, but aren't the strip clubs open again? If you're gonna shake your ass for attention, then why not make those dollar dollar bills? <laughs> Fuck me. Could I be deeply misogynistic? How could I take something as innocent as a fun dance and turn it into something dirty? Because I'm not an idiot. And as much as we want to pretend like things aren't what the base intention is, uh, they are. It doesn't stop it from being true. And fuck yeah, if you have the self-confidence and find joy, who the fuck am I to yuck your yum? Dirty isn't bad and I'm not shaming. I just don't understand the person that wouldn't hate themselves enough that they could actually go for it. Why do I watch Reels and not just get the TikTok app? Mostly I don't download the app because for some fucked up inner monologue. And keep this in mind, I'm a complete and utter hypocrite. I don't like it because I don't understand it. And I refuse to work the algorithm, as I am told, because the thought of having to talk with a computer like a modern-day privacy-invading Furby is insulting. Why do I want to educate machines so they can better sell me garbage? A part of my hypocrisy is that I don't want to lose the moral high ground when railing against my friends wasting their time on TikTok. By the way, those arguments happen only in my head at 2 a.m. Not to them. I honestly don't care whether or not they spend all day every day TikToking. It has no effect on my day or even my opinion of them. I just like to argue. If not for the intellectual competency necessary, I could have been a lawyer. When it's late and you're feeling lonely, all you can do to pass the time is have pretend arguments with imagined adversaries. I have a hundred percent win-loss. These oral opponents brag about scrolling through the endless repetitive mindless videos damaging their brain cells. Tim, I lost three hours on TikTok. I don't even know how. Fuck man, at least when I abuse drugs and alcohol, I know why I lost an evening. Maybe it's jealousy. I'm not a perfect person. They can spend hours a day for weeks at a time flipping through TikToks. But can I get the five minutes it takes for them to give me a five-star rating on iTunes and a review? No. Do my friends hate me? No. Do they not love me? Maybe. That reminds me, have you rated and reviewed Bearded and Bored on your app of choice?
Smash that like and subscribe button so I can feel some validation. While I hide from the world tinkering on projects a handful of people will ever hear but never share. <sighs> I must maintain the delusion of purpose at all costs. If I can't save enough for a house, then I can't build towards a retirement. Or save for a trip or new experience. If I can't go on a trip, retire, or experience anything beyond the mundane, staring at a ceiling, not being able to sleep for the next 30 years while I lose my hair, get fatter, walk with a limp because my knees and back are giving out, if all there is is a slow trudge towards death, enduring sleepless nights and nothing in it for me, why not give up? What's with all the effort? Should I just download TikTok and do some stupid dances? Probably because the education system tried to train me to believe it's more honorable to be a cog in the machine than a disgruntled spare part sitting on the sidelines collecting a check. Fuck that. And for some reason, at 2.30, and still no sleep, it's TikTok's fault. This all made sense sleep-deprived and devoid of hope. I promise. The object of the game is to distract yourself with TikTok to gain clout. An economy away from money. The hope of adoration. Vapid. Without substance. This play pretend of social engagement. It unnerves me because it's not real. But people treat this and all other social media like it is. As if it's an extension of themselves. One that's been photoshopped and perfected, written and proofed. As I was about to give up and try another video streaming service for the isolated and desperate for human contact. One more reel. A straggly, sunken-eyed man points towards the ceiling as graphics bounce around. You can already tell what this is. Another clickbait bullshit reel. An interesting fact you have never heard before. That kind of condescending bullshit they love to spread. He had this chipper cadence of the soulless talkers typical to the app, but his words hit different. I think that's when I saw the pleading in his eyes. Maybe there are people out there that are in it for something a little more than clout. He was trying to warn me about the uncanny valley. Good evening, and welcome to the Midnight Owl. I am your host, Tim. This week we are talking about the uncanny valley. The uncanny valley is the phenomenon where the human mind reacts with disdain, disgust, and even revulsion or near-human things like dolls, video games, and robots. Robots. Robots? I like robots. The Uncanny Valley, first identified in the 70s by a Japanese professor of robotics, Professor Masahiro Mori. What Professor Mori found was, as the appearance of a robot is made more human, some observer's emotional response to the robot becomes increasingly more positive and empathetic until it reaches a point which the human response becomes strong revulsion. 
Have you ever seen the shop facts with the dumb face on it? His name's Henry. This is the best example I can think of for the uncanny valley. I imagine the egghead android designers won't ever see this. The uncanny valley has been around us since we were in public school, probably in every workplace you've ever been in. Chris Duncan was a vacuum designer, and one night him and a co-worker were fucking around, bored at a trade show in the 70s. They dressed up one of their current commercial cleaners with a ribbon, union flag badge, and something like a hat, then chalked on a crude smile under the hose connector. The next day, visitors noticed it and laughed. Duncan asked his advertising people to design a proper face. They nicknamed the result Henry. At another trade show, a children's hospital was really interested in the cleaners because they thought they could encourage the recovering children to help with the cleaning. Dying of cancer, and adults want to make cleaning fun to keep down the costs of the cleaning staff. This world is fucked. Bored office cleaners would report talking to Henry during the night shifts. From there, sales just took right off. Duncan commented, we turned an inanimate object into an animate object. Since the introduction of Henry in 1981, at least 10 million units have been sold worldwide by 2017. In 2021, sales were increasing by a million units per year. Slap a face on anything and the lonely will gravitate towards it. My wall sockets better stop smiling at me or I might end up with an electrical burn and a sad story. We can empathize with robots that share human qualities. Think Wally. It's cute. We can anthropomorphize it. Because it's still a robot. Or Bender from Futurama. Not a human, but does have a human-like personality. When things appear near human, but not human, there is a deep-seated disgust. The fight-or-flight instincts start to spark. Is this a danger? Destroy it. There are many examples in pop culture to help you understand what the Uncanny Valley is. Princess Fiona, from Shrek. They actually had to tone down how human she looked because when the studio was test screening the movie, when she would appear on screen, she would make the children scream and cry. There was a huge backlash against the trailers for Sonic, for his human features. So much so, the studio spent $35 million, a life-changing sum of money, to redesign the beloved character. Beloved is the wrong word. Have you seen the fucked up fan art of Sonic? The tamest shit I've seen is this serial killer sketches of Sonic pregnant with tentacles all around him and in him. It's weird and I hate it. The Polar Express struggles to reflect the real-life emotions and facial expressions of human characters, instead opting for poor-quality renders that suggest nothing behind the glazed eyes of the main cast. The lifeless eyes haunt me and has ruined my favorite Christmas story. Dozens of video games have also entered the valley, like Brink or L.A. Noir. It's interesting to me to see a medium that is forever chasing realism 
plagued by getting too close but not quite right. We will get to the possible explanations, both reasonable and extreme, but before we get there, we have to ask the question, why? Why do scientists want to overcome the uncanny valley? Why do scientists want to make human-like robots? Why have they worked for 40 years to overcome the horror humans feel when approached by near-human robots? Spent billions, probably, to achieve this, and the only reason I can come up with is that some nerd wants to smush a robot. I'll say it plainly, nerds want sex bots. If I can't convince a real person to like me for my lack of personality, I'll bang a walking fleshlight. As best as I can see, these irresponsible dorks respond to why build a human robot with why not? They're fucking psycho, man. There's no freaking end goal. It serves no purpose. These twerps only ever want to elevate their ego over nonsense. I wonder how far robotics may have come along if these dinguses were less busy building faces on toasters. There's something poetic in TikTok bringing me an interesting story about how we can't connect with an inhuman caricature of a human being on a monstrosity of an app that helps destroy humans' abilities to connect with each other. Fucking replicants, man. <sighs> For years, sci-fi writers have warned us about it. Why can't it be treated as a moral allegory that humans should not fucking do this? Maybe my rant will be solace to some street rat kid living in the nuclear waste of the human-robot war Sarah Connor fought so hard to prevent. Buddy, I'm on your side. I'm sorry. Now that we've covered why scientists are obviously doing this, sex bots, let's talk about what it is in us that screams, that makes our skin crawl. When we look at that not-human thing, it's in all humans of all races. It's an ancient evolutionary trait. There were some suggestions on Wikipedia and a handful of the YouTube videos I watched. Keep in mind, I only ever did mild research before making batshit crazy claims that come at the end of this sleep-deprived monologue on scary robots, so just take anything and everything I say with a heaping helping of salt. When a human is diseased, that disease is dangerous to other humans, because they can catch it. We perceive that dying human is not our family or friend as the disease takes hold to protect us. A decomposing body is even more dangerous as it's releasing bacteria that will cause a multitude of disease. Think of it as a herd protection response. Those of our ancestors that were too scared to touch a dead body lived longer and had more babies who were also scared of dead bodies. If you think about it, it's kind of curious. How did this impact our creation of burial rites and religion? How does this impact the way that uh, every book and TV show depicts a coroner or undertaker? They're never a normal human being. 
Because what kind of normal human being could be around the not-human things all day? When we see lifelessness in a near-human object like a robot or a CGI character, it'll trigger that same fear-based health response. I have a few paraphrased comments from a subreddit describing it. Citizen Kong said, Reminds me of a public lecture of a medical coroner I visited out of curiosity. He told stories about people that were mistakenly pronounced dead even today because the doctor that was called to determine if the person was dead was too scared to actually do a thorough examination of the body, which is 100% necessary. Traumahawk then responded with, I can concur. I worked EMS for eight years. Unfortunately, part of that time was working on a medical examiner's truck. So we went out to transport bodies to the morgue straight from the scene. The more destroyed the body was, the easier it was for me. There's something just deeply uncomfortable about dead bodies like that. I've been out for almost three years now and haven't been on a medical examiner's truck for closer to six. And even now I still get all fucked up about it. Over and over again, these stories were repeated of people seeing the ones they love get sick fade, and cease being the human they knew. An imitation of what they loved. It reminded me of the day that I found my father. I couldn't connect with the thing that was sitting there. When I tried to shake the thing awake that wore my father's face, it was so cold. It was an object, not a human. It's been many, many years, and I'm still ashamed of myself that I felt like I needed to wake this thing up so that my father could come back. It's like this comment by Biscuit in Flight. The thing that probably shocked me the most was how cold they felt. I couldn't grasp how a human could feel cold, like a classroom desk or a dining room table. It was upsetting because it felt to me like the cold was trying to invalidate the fact that this person in front of me was a real person. Master of None responded, that part. It's weird we don't just get lukewarm or room temperature, so to speak. It's like the body is producing the cold itself. I believe in God because I saw the before and after of a body without a soul. Does that make me love God? No. Respect and fear that all-powerful dickhead in the sky? Yes. At the funeral, I couldn't go into the parlor to see him. I just sat in another room with a sibling bullshitting about a Star Wars game we'd both played to try to disassociate from the setting we were in. It felt somehow perverse disrespectful. There was, however, a quiet voice that soothed me when it whispered, It's okay. It's not your father in there. You cannot be disrespectful of the dead if no one died. I had fucked up dreams for years chasing my dad through the streets of cities I'd never been to, catching glimpses of him from a window in a restaurant. The premise of my insanity was that I never saw my father at the funeral. Therefore, 
he wasn't dead. So by the transitive properties, he faked his death and he had a nice life with a new family and I hated him for it. Interesting fact, did you know that if you smoke weed every day, you can start to suppress a lot of your dreams? I haven't done like the actual research on this, this is just my objective observations, but uh, yeah, I think finding weed and outrunning these crazy dreams is why I was a stoner for so long. If you can't get to REM where you have hardcore dreams, you won't chase your not-dead dad through the streets of an unknown city. Oh my god, it's 3.30am and you have totally lost it, Tim. I'm talking in the third person in a written script. Could weed and bad dreams be what brought us to not sleeping in TikTok tonight? Humans have a need for distinctiveness and self-importance. You see it in religion. We are the shepherds destined to lead all others. The divine right of control. Humanity will not suffer another self-aware creature even if it's created by our own hands like a robot because it's an enemy that might vie for our resources. Maybe the uncanny valley is our fear that one day our chickens will come home to roost, as we pay the price for our genocide of precursor human species like the Neanderthals. What few we bred into our genes remember how terrifying and evil humans are. That being said, what about the soulless among us? The psychopaths and sociopaths? Serial killers? A sociopath in tribal times could be a powerful figure, evil incarnate with no systems to track them down. A lone psychopath wandering the world kicked out of his or her own tribe because of their brutality and vileness, they would be an extreme danger to any peoples they would come across. Thinking about the non-human aspect of robots in the uncanny valley, it's reminiscent of the way that people describe serial killers' eyes. A human face, but not human. People often show emotion through their eyes, such as wide eyes to show surprise or teary eyes to show sadness. A blank look would be used to describe a serial killer, because nine times out of ten, psychopaths don't feel emotion at all, so they have no feelings to translate to their eyes. Descriptions of serial killers' eyes include dead, flat, or reptilian-like eyes very dark irises, or eyes that appear black, pupils that don't dilate, an expression such as a smile, but it doesn't reach their eyes, a soulless stare. Is it possible the uncanny valley is a genetic holdover from our ancestors that warn us not of death, but of the monsters that dealt it? When you're checking out of your grocery store, that guy... Three lanes down. The one that is so normal kind of stands out. Height, weight, haircut. They're all mundane. Regular. His posture and hand gestures don't spark anything, but you can't look away. You do not turn your back. You keep your distance, aware that this wholly natural thing a little further away is in some way a threat. 
Your ancient forebears are screaming through the evolutionary track that this being doesn't abide by the laws that all of the human herd must uphold. So you take an extra second to punch in your pin and not tap. Rearrange the groceries in the cart. Stop to check out the impulse buys, pass the checkout. Speaking of which, who is the psychotic who sees the cases of bubbly pass the thing and then has the brass knockers to turn around, disrupt the flow of everybody else trying to check out and demand oh, one more item? Why are they there? And all of this is to give yourself a little bit of distance while you both go into a dark parking lot from this human skin wearing thing. As much as podcasts and the ID channel want to convince you a serial killer lurks around every corner, maybe it's something way more believable, like the reptilian elite. Hear me out. The human brain had its origin as a reptile. The reptilian brain still informs a lot of our baser instincts. So, the reptile in us knows its own kind, and these face-wearing fucks straight out of V occasionally let their masks slip, and that reptilian brain sees it. The ancient origin of our modern minds is not a new concept. Decades ago, Professor Gordon Orans showed that a modern human being, looking at paintings of peoples and trees in the context of a sunset, preferred to have the people and the trees group closely together. Why? Sunset is when the big cats come out to feed. I'm looking at you, Zuckerberg, you fly-eating near-humanoid. Could an ancient alien race outrunning the reptilians drop a few genetic markers in our DNA helix to trigger a warning of the interlopers here to steal our babies in perverse blood rituals? Probably not. Hey, it would make for a good miniseries, though. If it never gets made and I remain destitute... Blame the reptilian elite for blocking a worthwhile creative project so that I cannot slander them for profit. I mean, so that I don't warn the human race of the invaders, because I'm, I'm a good person. To bring this diatribe full circle, the existence of the Uncanny Valley implies that at some point there was an evolutionary reason to be afraid of something that looked human but wasn't. Near-human robots sparked this fear, not the robots themselves. What was it? What did our predecessors defeat? We understand the power of lions and tigers. We see the predator and a wolf's eyes. Yet we don't have a collective disgust when we walk through a zoo. These apex killers hunted us. Yet we suffer them to live. Allow our children to get tucked into bed with stuffed animal versions of them. And that is what that TikTok video was trying to say. There is a reason we are afraid, and we should be afraid, but what is that unnamed natural instinct? Alright, so let's just quickly run through our options. We got aliens. If the reptilians have the tech to cross the expanse of space, the continuity of leadership to maintain power for thousands of years throughout our existence, and the intelligence to never get exposed, number one, we're fucked. We're never going to win that battle. Number two, why? There isn't an answer I find satisfying with this. Power for power's sake is boring and fruitless. Could they be breeding an ultra-powerful slave race? 
Maybe on the galactic scale, tens of thousands of years is nothing. But my small human mind says it would not take that long. Unless there's an intense bureaucratic mismanagement, which probably should get addressed if that's the case. Also, if there's going to take us over, why let us ruin the environment? Unless... We are unknowingly terraforming the world into a hotter place with a CO2 level more inclined with their home world. Holy shit, ancient aliens are back on the list. <laughs> okay, so if it's not aliens, which we just discussed, it's probably not, but maybe. It's, yeah, it's definitely aliens. Um, what if it was some kind of zombie thing? What if it was a parasitic organism? There are actually a few species of insects that can control their host through chemicals in a form of mind control. The females of the Costa Rican wasp lay their eggs in the abdomens of unlucky orb spiders. After living off its host for a few weeks, the wasp larvae injects a chemical into the spider that makes them build a strange new kind of web, unlike anything they would have built before. It's meant to support the cocoon that the wasp larva will build after finally killing and eating the spider. Then there's the lacent liver fluke. It's a type of flatworm. It resides in the livers of grazing animals such as cows. Its eggs are excreted in the host's feces, which are then eaten by snails. After the eggs hatch inside the snail, the snail creates a protective cyst around the parasites and coughs them up as balls of mucus. These fluke-laden slime balls are then consumed by ants. When the flukes wiggle their way into the ant's brain, they cause the insect to climb to the tip of a blade of grass and sit motionless, where it's most likely going to be eaten by a grazing mammal. That way the liver fluke can complete its life cycle. And if that's not enough proof of zombie bugs, there's an, a different kind of fluke. And I'm going to butcher the name of this. Eucophilus californius? <laughs> you know, that's probably pretty close. It begins its life in an ocean-dwelling horn snail, where it produces larvae that seek the next host, a killifish. Once it finds a fish, the parasite latches onto its gills and makes its way into the fish's brain. The fluke needs to get inside of the gut of the water bird in order to reproduce. So inside the killifish's brain, the fluke releases chemicals that cause the fish to shimmy, jerk, and jump. The parasite decreases serotonin and increases dopamine levels in the fish's brain. The switch in its brain chemistry stimulates the fish to swim and behave more aggressively. These moves attract the attention of birds, which may eat the fish, and the flukes. The flukes mate, and their eggs are released back into the water in the birds' droppings to be eaten by horn snails and start the whole cycle over again. I've actually seen these ones. Hairworms. Hairworms produce mind-controlling chemicals that cause their cricket hosts to move towards light. Because... Water bodies reflect moonlight. This often sends crickets towards lakes and streams. The crickets jump in and drown, and the hairworms emerge, ready to find their next victim. So, with all these different examples of mind-controlling bugs, 
So there's all these different kinds of examples of zombie bugs, mind-controlling insects. What if humanity defeated another sentient species in millennium past? An intricate complex form of one of these mind-controlling parasites. Ancient, prehistoric, Jurassic, further back, who knows? Hell, it could have been an alien species that was able to attach itself to a meteor and travel millions of light years in hibernation, in hibernation and smash into the earth, killing off large swaths of dinosaurs and infecting whichever species it felt like afterwards. Who knows how smart a colony or single entity of this made-up worm could be? If it's complex and capable of some form of thought, could it function to a greater goal beyond the simple reproductive cycle of killing its host? Would they seek out which host they found most enjoyable? You could have the strength of a T-Rex, the ferocity of a saber-toothed tiger, the guile of a human. Millions of years of evolution and a purely organic existence you would have no fossil records of these meat puppet masters. You're sitting around a fire when someone of your clan that went hunting returns with a dubious piece of meat. Your hunger is screaming that you must eat and celebrate the bounty. But that thing seems like your friend. But for some reason it's not quite right. The thing wants the tribe to eat, consume. Due to the body, it wouldn't know how to move quite right. If it had access to memories, both of its genetic memory and the human's experiences, it could replicate but never perfect the subtle body cues we humans have. An entire tribe could be corrupted over one meal if the near-human thing brought back one deer carrying millions of eggs of its colony's offspring, are we the descendants of the ones that ran? Kill the thing and the carrion animals appear, the infection spreads. An invasive species biding its time. Let's say that this fictitious parasite was capable of traveling through the extremes of space and hibernation breaking through our atmosphere and not becoming destroyed or deactivated. Maybe we should be cautious of what we bring out of the ice in the Arctic. We might not have much of a choice as it continues to melt. Maybe we should have good checks and balances of what we dig out of the tar pits, of what we dredge up from the depths of the ocean. Don't kill the thing. Destroy it. I wonder how close this resembles the framework for what we understand demons to be, the corrupting force that diseases everything it touches, an evil cancer spreading through temptation and manipulation. What do you think? Email me at Bearded and Bored. And because this show took me so long to write, last night I was watching Chip and Dale, and they beat me to the punchline on many of these jokes about the uncanny valley. God damn it.
Chip and Dale, man. Chip and Dale beat me. <sighs> it's good to be back in the gray areas of the Midnight Owl. Thank you for following me down the winding gravel road that is my unhinged thoughts. Until next time. Hoot hoot. <laughs>